Good morning, good afternoon and good evening to all of you in our digital health community, wherever you are listening in the world, and welcome to the HitLab Digital Health Podcast. My name is Jerry Antimano. I am the Community Development Manager at HitLab, and today we bring you an interview from one of our Women's Health Tech Wednesday events. Every Wednesday we have a fireside chat where we interview different female leaders in the healthcare industry, dive into their experience and story, and hear about insights they might have with any number of current healthcare topics. In this particular episode, our host Nina Joshi from Kaiser Permanente interviewed Meg Columbia-Walsh, who is the Director of Worldwide Revenue Operations at Amazon Web Services. Meg talks about her incredible journey from developing the first commercial website for a pharmaceutical corporation to founding and exiting several successful companies and IPOs, to now being a corporate executive. They also discuss best ways to start up and scale up a business. So let's have a listen to when Nina met Meg. Our lovely guest, Meg. Hello, and thank you so much for being here today. You bet. Hi. Happy to be here. All right. Well, we are so excited to to learn more about you um, and just kind of chat. So maybe a a good place to start would be for you to tell us a little bit more about your background and kind of the journey that led you to where you are right now. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I will share my LinkedIn and email afterwards. Um, I uh, started my career uh, wanting to be a doctor. And mm-hmm. because I was on a basketball scholarship, I was not able to do that. This was prior to the NCAA. And so I had to change my major and decided instead to focus my career on healthcare. So I started uh, actually working for the telephone company uh, and Johnson and Johnson, and that becomes important later. I then moved into the ad agency business and I was a pioneer in the first direct to consumer advertising. And in 1996, so I'm uh, really um, aging myself. I (laughs) was managing Clarendon, who you all know well, and the product managers of this blockbuster at the time drug wanted a website. This was very, very early before the commercial web. And so I searched around and tried to find people to build websites. And at this time, the corporations did not have IT departments. I know it's hard to imagine. It was mainly networking and large internal computers and Uh, mainframes and so forth. And so I searched around to build them this website because I was so such a good girl and a good account person wanting to do the right thing for them. Couldn't find anybody to build it and quit my job. Told my mom I was going to quit my job. She thought I was insane, had a heart attack. Uh, And I found a bunch of random tech guys and we built the first commercial website on the internet uh, for a pharmaceutical company, which was um, Clarendon. And I had founded a company at that time, although I did not know I was an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what that was, but I named the company Health Tech Digital Communications. And that was what built that first website. Well, soon after every pharmaceutical company in industry came after us, Uh, because it was so exciting and they wanted to participate. And within a year, I had an offer for that company to be bought. And at the time, I was on the board of trustees for Ryder 
university and I was like, no, I'm not giving you my company. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, I knew nothing about it. And the chairman of the board of Ryder was a Deloitte partner. And mm -hmm. I said to him, you know, they want to buy my company. Um, what do you think about that? And he was like, absolutely. What are you crazy? Uh, and so that started this <laughs> wild career that I'm in. So I sold health tech to Interpublic Group and built every large and first uh, digital for every pharma. And then was um, asked by Medscape, which many of you know, um, to, to answer then, because I was the only one in the industry with that experience, how would consumers use the web? Uh, and mm -hmm. I, the reason I'm sitting here today is because then I wrote a business plan for my thoughts on that. And mm -hmm. I started to build that for Medscape, the first consumer site on the commercial internet. And then within three months, CBS Corporation, like CBS News, came to us mm -hmm. because a producer had been misdiagnosed with cancer. And the only place they found the proper information was Medscape. And so oh, wow. CBS bought $150 million uh, for 33% of the company and media. And we became CBS Health Watch and I became famous and we went from there. Um, what's important for this group on the phone is that I would not have been hired as a CEO for a public offering at that time. Mm -hmm. I would not have been chosen to lead an initial public offering as a woman. Very few women to this day have led an initial public offering for a company. Um, I am myself one of the most successfully exited women in the country and let, yet most of you on this call probably don't know my name, but if I was a man, you would definitely know my name. Without question, I have founded four companies and an IPO and sold them to the Fortune 200. Um, but what CBS Health Watch did enable me to do, uh, that was taken public and then sold to a company that then used it as the basis for the first consumer website for WebMD. Um, wow. And so, you know, what it did enable for me, though, however, was to then start uh, a lifetime of not only being an entrepreneur as well as a corporate executive, uh, yeah. as I am now in between, but to take every new technology and introduce it to the industry, but also to mentor just a heck of a lot of women uh, behind me, because I am very uh, bothered that still to this day, we have trouble getting funding, we have trouble, uh, you know, getting the exposure that we need. Um, and so I'm all in for that and all in for speaking to all of you or helping any of you uh, for that reason. So that's how I got to where I am. That's an, that's an incredible story. Um, I think even just everything you were saying was, was so inspiring. Uh, would love to learn from you. You know, you have such an expansive career. What kind of um, intrigued you about healthcare and how did you really um, kind of develop these, these ideas or these thoughts that you had kind of into something, um, you know, more sustainable? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, when we started in the industry, even in advertising and certainly in pharmaceuticals, and I was a sales rep for Johnson & Johnson to start, you really had to know the science. 
Um, the mm. way the industry started was very serious, and it was very much about educating physicians and educating consumers about whatever the products were, and especially the disease state. So my initial foundational education was very scientifically oriented. Um, mm -hmm. And so my being older as a starting entrepreneur, my focus was the patient. When I first mm -hmm. saw the, inter the internet and what was possible for Claritin, my thought and our thinking was that we finally could get patients to comply with their medication to understand what that meant mm -hmm. so that they would get the best benefit of uh, helping them with their condition. Um, mm -hmm. You know, healthcare is a challenge. Compliance in healthcare still to this day is a challenge, but is very driven by the patient. Um, in CVS Health Watch, it was the same thing. We were the first site on the internet that uh, provided any information on all of the disease states, uh, et cetera, to consumers directly. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this, it really helped in the conversation uh, with physicians. It, this myth that, you know, it did not, it, is not true. And patients mm -hmm. still need, as most people on the phone know, to be very, very empowered and their mm -hmm. own advocate to get through this very complicated and, and dysfunctional healthcare system. Uh, that we have. So, you know, that focus uh, really has driven me in my career. And even, even as my niche developed of watching the trends and watching the new technologies that were going to come in to affect the consumer, my last company was an artificial intelligence company. Um, it still was in the mind of how that would drive and help uh, the consumer. Um, you know, so, so ultimately that, that really is the foundation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love that that's, you know, been your guiding, um, focus, you know, throughout, throughout your career. Um, if I can ask for you to put on your, your mentor hat, um, for a second, yes. would love, you know, your, your advice, um, for those that are, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs or innovators, you know, where would, where should they start for those that, maybe have an idea or are really interested, but it can kind of be a little bit overwhelming when you think about the entire system. Um, where, where should they start? Yeah, uh, I think the most important thing about when people ask me, how, you know, how have you done this? Uh, most entrepreneurs don't build companies that sell, uh, men or women. Um, how do you do it? I, I think my answer is operational rigor. And, and for anybody on the phone who is building a business or wants to build a business, whether it's a startup or, uh, or a niche business and service, et cetera, is you have to have an idea that's unique. Um, and then you have to go out in the market and you have to study. And this is where I find a lot of entrepreneurs simply don't do the work or business owners, I don't wanna only talk to the entrepreneurs. They do not go out into the market then and spend two or three months to find out every single offering that is similar to what their idea is, studying all of the competitors of what is close to what their idea is, and then figuring out if it's still a legitimate idea, what that then market niche is. It has to be something that you're going to offer that nobody else is offering or in a way that is completely different than what everybody else is offering. 
once that is established, if you pass that test and you go, yes, I, I have that, then you mm -hmm. have to really write a very solid idea. I am not using intentionally the word business plan. Mm -hmm. Okay. I am talking about writing down in the stream of consciousness what you think the idea is and what you think the company is. Um, and that might turn out to be 25 to 30 pages of writing. Every single thing you've thought about what this idea is or what this company needs to be or what that market niche was, you just found out, man, you're just going to sit and write because I can hand you the template. I have a beautiful template. I share it often of my fifth time a pro now, right? So my 15, 20 minute pitch uh, to mm -hmm. a VC for money or the Economic Development Authority in New Jersey, which is fantastic, or the mm -hmm. women's funds. I can give you that deck and it takes a great story. You'll see exactly how I do it, but I can't sit and help and mentor and teach you that until you've done that work to find the market, find the competition, to find the niche, and then write your thoughts, right? Because those thoughts and everything out of your head is going to formulate what goes into that deck besides the serious financials and et cetera. So that is right. very key. And I don't find a lot of people take that time. They have mm -hmm. a good idea. They haven't done that necessarily, that back work that's so important right. and research. They dive ahead uh, and they don't have that secured. So therefore, when somebody looks at you for funding and you can't understand why you didn't get chosen for an incubator or funding or pass one of these, it's because for on the other side, I need to know the management team has done their homework, right? Yeah. And that you can answer my questions. I need to know that you have an idea that's going to make money. I need mm -hmm. to know that in making money, that that idea can scale. So it's right. not enough to have an idea and it's not enough to even make some money. It's enough to know that if I hand you my money, one, you're going to take care of it and two, you're going to grow it. That's yep. really critical, right? And if it's not that idea and it doesn't pass that test, it goes away. There's another idea right behind it. You don't get Absolutely. discouraged. Maybe that one you thought of originally wasn't good enough, um, but certainly in the market, there is space. Um, even space to do things you see that could be done better, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go and you, um, you know, take advantage of that, right? Once that's done, I'll just take another minute to tell you how I start these yeah. businesses, right? So, mm -hmm. so I have this pitch. I've done it in the, in the case of Wiley, my last company, we went to the New Jersey State Economic Development Authority. We did our pitch and we were granted uh, quite a bit of money to start. We also mm -hmm. had uh, founding um, VCs involved. Mm -hmm. um, so we have this money. Now it's my job, right? They've handed me check. I got money in the bank account. The very first thing I do is I operationalize the idea. So I, I go across the organization, corporate, sales, product, tech, finance, customer service, operations, right? I then find out, do I need a leader for each one of those? Or do, in this case, I need maybe four people that are going to do multiple jobs to start. But I hire the best first. I use some of that capital to hire senior people. Senior people mm -hmm. like myself can do 10 jobs. That's what I need. 
I need the maturity of that ability, right? Then we lay out each one of those departments' roles for this idea. So for Wiley, mm -hmm. we'll give you a real example. We had an unbelievable AI machine learning platform that was going to work on personalization at scale for big brands, basically, making your communication more personalized, both in healthcare mm -hmm. and CPG. Um, so I went and hired the best. I knew I would need tech. I knew I would need yeah. a lot of project management, right? That was going to be critical. Um, mm -hmm. And so I hired those people. And then I even wrote the job descriptions. I, and I wrote for each department head that I hire, they have to write out what their department does. And not only that, but if one was sold, so let's say yeah. we had Marriott as a client. We go to Marriott and we've pitched this idea and they say, great, Meg, here's $100,000 for a pilot. How is that going to flow through my company is actually uh, something I do ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So each department head is charged with writing out in PowerPoint or whatever they're comfortable with, how that department is going to work, how those projects are going to get done who's going to be the quality control, et cetera. So when I hire somebody new, then when we start to hire under that, they are handed a department guide, they're handed a job description, and I can onboard people quicker. I have Salesforce mm -hmm. set up for my salespeople. My financials are as tight as anything. I know every dollar and where it's being spent and everything. That is the key to my success. That, that is my company sell. They are so tightly run. We build it as if we're a million dollar company right off the bat. Uh, I have all those I's and T's dotted and it's yep. critical to do it. And a lot of people, again, it's it's hard work. They, they have to do the work in these basic, tedious paperwork, things that's not as sexy before then I get to do my job, which is raising money 24 hours a day and always from day one um, mm -hmm. and selling to my clients, right. to my board, managing my investors, et cetera, as a CEO. That's my job, right? But before I get to there, that's the groundwork that's laid. Mm -hmm. And that groundwork is absolutely critical. Um, and, and once that happens... And yeah. we begin to sell because we've worked so hard on how it's going to be done and how we're going to do that. Then as I scale, so I get another client, another client, there's no chaos. What often right. happens in a startup is they don't do that hard work up front and then they get to a year point and now they're in a crisis. They have taken mm. in more than they can handle. They don't have the processes and procedures to handle it. They don't have the way to scale. Their onboarding employees takes too long. It's sloppy. People aren't doing their sales force every week. They're not doing their timesheets every day. You see the breakdown, right? right, right. I make sure there's no breakdown. We are ready day one to do that. And then it scales from there. So it's a very disciplined, very operational approach. But I think mm -hmm. if you talk to any successful scaling startup CEO or founder, you will find very uh, a very similar story in how they do it well and how they get there slow and steady and win that race, right? Um, and that really okay. applies here. That's incredible. I love not only your attention to detail, but everything you just shared. There's so much just tangible things for 
any founder who can, after this, you know, discussion, just already start that stream of consciousness um, idea thinking. So thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. Um, you actually, I think, answered another question I had regarding um, whether that's co-founder or team, uh, team members, founding team members. And, and it seemed based off of kind of what you were talking about that I think finding the priority areas and then just hiring for experience um, is kind of a good approach. Yes, it is, you know, because Perfect. the young people can do anything. So, you know, I'll, I'll make an interesting comment here. So, you know, hiring the more experienced leader is important because they're mature, they've failed, they've succeeded, they've been through that, right? And that's critical right. for them to be a lead of a department for me, right? For right. me to call them a leader, they have to have earned their stripes because then I know I can trust and rely on them, right? And they're going to have the maturity and the professionalism to do that. Absolutely. In the complete opposite end of the spectrum, then, when we start to hire the cheaper talent and the younger talent to fill the ranks, I do not hire people that say, you know, go get the best only uh, project manager, for example. Um, as I interview people, I can tell if they're a hard worker. I can tell if I'm going to be able to trust them by the questions that I ask them and what kind of character they have. And what I push people and I hire 50% diversity on all my teams have to be diverse, whether it's women, minorities, it doesn't matter. What I find with people coming out of school or even people five years experience and under is, there is, if I've, if they've passed my test of quality, person, yeah. hard worker, character, they can do anything. Mm -hmm. I love young people. I, I push them to the maximum. I say, you're going to be VP of client service. They're like, what? I've never <laughs> done that. That's always their first reaction. You know, I haven't done that. Oh my God, what does that mean? You know? And, you know, you'd be so shocked at when you mm -hmm. have, when you're tough and I'm tough, as you can tell, you know, when mm -hmm. you're tough and you have discipline, but they can trust you that you're organized and leading and, right. and that you're doing well. And then you tell them, I bet you can do this and where you can't do it, we're going to help you. Mm -hmm. You cannot believe what people can do. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't have an example where I have done that and they have come back to me and said, I'm folding my tent, I, uh, this is too much. I, yeah. I, I do not have that example in jobs that they've never done. And then right. they experiment and you give them a few different jobs and man, they'll find their niche. All of a sudden Absolutely. they're humming. They're like, I really like client service or I really like this sales, Meg, or boy, that project management is more me. I want to do right. that, right? Um, you know, that is a beautiful thing. And, and again, I only had 23 people at, at Wiley, um, mm -hmm. only eight tech people. And we were managing Marriott, Dell, Adidas, uh, all these huge companies, J&J, uh, &J, Pfizer, et cetera. And, and they'll do it all. It, it's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think I definitely, you know, can see how that approach of just really hiring for quality, integrity, character. Um, rather than skills, which can, of course, be learned, um, has definitely served you well. That's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Wanted to pivot a little bit and ask you about kind of the fundraising side of the house. Um, and for any, you know, founders, entrepreneurs listening now, what would be kind of your advice or some of the strategies that you've employed when it comes to kind of getting that initial funding? 
Yes. So all the great news about all the bad news. So mm -hmm. we have lived through some trying times. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing is, boy, we have a voice. The minorities have a voice. We have a voice. Women have a voice. And everybody's ready as a result. There are more funds for women that have been started than ever before in history over the last five years. Uh, there are more minority-facing funds funds available from states, et cetera. So the funding pipeline is there. Um, if you have done the work and mm -hmm. have that homework and have that pitch that I was talking to you about and good mentors like myself and others, when you're walking in, the first thing I recommend is who? So again, you've done your homework on the funders, right? Yeah. If, you know, when, when, if you look at the very large VCs that have said, we're going to help women, they're going to do it the same old way. They're looking for a big scalable idea. They're going to put you through a very rigorous privileged process that's been going on for years and years. That's not mm -hmm. going to change. That white glove mm -hmm. level is going to be the same. Um, then you're going to go down a level. Uh, to middle funders. I had these for Wiley because we had a really client already and a very promising technology. I was able to get a seed level that was not just an angel round, right? Mm -hmm. um, they are a little more flexible and their job, they're willing to work with the founders, right? They're there to help. They have smaller right. portfolios, very involved with the founders etc. But again, you want to research them because they are all specialty. All mm -hmm. of the funders are specialized. They specialize in healthcare. They specialize in CPG, in food service, etc. So you have to do your homework. You make your list, big, medium, and then the seed players, like who are the nice. angel funds for women? Uh, there are plenty of them. They are out there. They're dying for you to join their incubators. They're dying. But again, you know, when I do that, I'm there. So yeah. one thing I got to tell you, you, you know, you have to be there. So when I make that big, medium and small seed list, mm -hmm. uh, I go. I'm running around every day of the week. I'm in Philly at this incubator. I'm running to New York for the JP Morgan. I'm going to this one. I'm going. I put in the work. And let me tell you why that's important. Pitching is a sale. And mm -hmm. even if that funder is not going to fund you, I fundraise, and that's what you read a lot about, you're always fundraising as a CEO, right? I fundraise because when I sit in front of somebody, I'm going to impress them, right? If my mm -hmm. idea is developed and it's a good one and there's some positive feedback around it, right? I'm going to impress them. Why is that important? They're going to ultimately at the end of the meeting, and especially now because I'm a woman and they want to help, they're going to say, you know what, Meg, we're not going to fund this, but we're going to introduce you to Steve, ah. or we're going to introduce you to this fund, or I want you to call me back when you get to the B round. Um, you know, so you are building relationships in the industry and building trust and building uh, also reputation, right? They didn't know right. you before. Now you're walking in and they're, Wow. You know, I didn't know who you were and this is really impressive and this is fantastic, right? So so all of that is really, really important. And it starts from that good idea and it yep. starts from going to the incubators. And if it starts with 10 grand, then it's 10 grand more than you have. 
right? And then you have to use experienced mentors. You're not doing this in your garage. That's a myth. You're going to find experienced women, people like myself who have done it, and you're going to mm-hmm. sit with them and you're going to ask for their time and you're going to take the time to do it. Um, but you're only going to approach them once you've done your own homework. But if you have done your own homework and there's a legitimate idea, you want to make sure you get guidance so that those pitch decks are beautiful and good. Your story is tight. You can handle the negative feedback they're going to give you and the beating up they're going to give you because they're there to help and they are giving you that feedback to help you, right? To develop that final pitch. So when you're up in front of the room and you're rock solid, you're going to sound fantastic. Because mm-hmm. in 10 pitches, somebody's gonna gonna fund you. You're if, if the yeah. idea is good enough and you do all that work, groundwork, you will you will be taken care of. You will get funding. It's there. That's incredible. And I just realized we are right at 10. I feel like we need a part two of this conversation. Oh. Um, you have so much, you just have a wealth of knowledge to share. Um, and I can definitely see how how everyone is really just I already have some great next steps for myself. Um but before we go, just wanted to ask, we actually had a question from an audience member asking about that template uh, that you are mentioning. Yes. So if there's a website or if it's on your LinkedIn, um, please let us know so that we can, we can share that to those that were interested in it. Yeah, no, I have it. I help founders that contact me. I'm happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn under Meg Columbia hyphen Walsh and write me a note and, um, you know, I'm happy to work with anybody from there. Perfect. Perfect. And then just wanted to say thank you again, Meg, for just an incredible conversation. Um, I really appreciate it. I learned, I learned a bunch. Oh, good. Good. Happy to be here. A really wonderful interview from Meg and Nina there. If you wish to connect with either Meg or Nina, you can do so via LinkedIn. That information is in this episode's description. For more information about HitLab, please visit www.hitlab.org and do engage with us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook by searching for our handle at HitLabNYC. That handle again is at HitLabNYC. This podcast is available on Anchor.fm, Spotify and all the good places you get your podcasts. Our next Women's Health Tech Wednesday episode we'll see Nina interviewing Sari Kaganoff, General Manager of Consulting at Rock Health. So subscribe and hit the notification bell if you want to be alerted when that episode drops next week. On behalf of the entire team at HitLab, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we wish you a digitally healthy day.